Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, everybody. So I'm James Dow. I'm the CEO of DSW Capital. Uh, my background is I'm a cost and management accountant. I'm a chartered accountant. I was at KPMG for 18 years and I was a partner at KPMG at the age of 33 in corporate finance. But I left in 2002 to build something special with uh, two of my colleagues, uh, John Schofield and Mark Watts. And we've been building our business since 2002. In addition to being CEO of DSW, I'm also a non-executive director of the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. Um, afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm Nicole Burstow. I am the CFO. Um, joined DSW three years ago, and prior to that, I was at Deloitte. Um, spent 15 years there. Um, since graduating, and left as a director. Um, and I joined the business um, primarily to help us scale the business, to develop the central infrastructure. Um, and also to get us IPO ready. Um, and we successfully delivered that um, in December last year. Um, the other thing that attracted me to joining the business was James's vision. Um, and I felt it was a really attractive offer um, for a proposition for people like me in the big four who um, wanted more autonomy, more flexibility, and the opportunity to work in a really dynamic um, and entrepreneurial environment. I'm not just the FD, um, so I, I do oversee the operations in the group. I work with James on strategy and recruitment, and I manage the relationships with our um, licensee partners. DSW today is the business I would have joined if it had been around in 2002. I think that's really important to understand the ethos of the business. So I was a very ambitious, driven uh, partner at KPMG, dissatisfied with my lack of operational control and my earnings. And I was quite determined that we should build something different. Initially, we were just a corporate finance boutique, but we've grown our business to being a genuine challenger bid for mid-market professional services provider. The business model is that we license professionals to operate as DSW predominantly across the UK at the moment. Essentially, we earn a license fee, which is a percentage of their revenues in exchange for using the DSW name. Now, our role is to provide the infrastructure, the back office, the financial support to enable really talented people to build their own businesses. We've been working on this for 19 years. We're not an overnight sensation. We think we've now got a scalable model with very low operational gearing. We're very different to other professional services businesses. Our teams are full of ambitious, driven people, and our role is to provide them with the back office they require. It actually only requires a back office of 6.5 full-time equivalent employees, plus myself and Nicole. For an investor, that means we've got a very predictable cost base and we can scale the business. And essentially, we are capital light business, which means the more we grow, the more profits we make, the more cash we generate, and we can support a very healthy dividend payout ratio. Our target is 70% of the after-tax profits. 
as I said at the start of the business, the origin of the business is a corporate finance boutique, but we've added on other service lines initially in due diligence. And if you see in our stylized representation of the UK, we now cover seven locations in England and Scotland, from our heartland in the north and up to Scotland, Reading and London. But we've extended the range of services so that essentially our revenue exposure to what I call the SME, M&A marketplace, is now only 70%. It's a clear strategic aim to balance the business. And these are our maiden results. I'm really delighted to be able to say we've got some fantastic financials, which Nicole will go through. But the, some of the key financials for me, we have 14.3% year-on-year growth in, in our full-time equivalent fee earners. In real terms, that's 11 more people. So we started the year with 77 people and we've ended up with 88 people. Now, those 88 people have been extraordinary in their efforts and our network revenue which is the revenue they build from their efforts, has grown nearly 20% in the year. And over the last three years, that's compounded at 28%. And that cascades down to a really important metric for our business. So our revenue per fee earner is £227,000. That's the average. It's an important metric because it clearly demonstrates the quality of our people, and the quality of the work they're doing, and the quality of the clients they're addressing. Nicole will give you some of the comparators that it compares to. It's a key metric where you bear in mind that our average business has got basically four and a half people. So on average, our business is a billion, million pounds. If I could summarize the investment case, we are cash generative and we are capital light. At the end of the day, it's a people business. And what's really important is our people are highly motivated to be successful because they keep the lion's share of the rewards and that's generating a recurring revenue base. And from my perspective, we've spent 19 years perfecting a model which still can be improved, but which is basically a model that we think is scalable and is genuinely innovative in professional services and particularly in accountancy. And as I alluded to already, we've got strong growth, experienced strong growth and continue to benefit from that as our modelling is increasingly attractive to people who want to be empowered, who want to be the best they can be. Now, those four combined with what I regard as a very great opportunity in the marketplace in terms of we are actually a really small professional services business. The big four are substantially larger, but they're also ripe for disruption. And our aim listing is at the right time for us to maximise those opportunities. I'm delighted to tell you that the AIM listing has really delivered for us as a business. It's increased our profile to partner candidates. It's increased our profile to new employees. It's increased our profile to clients. We're generally held in much higher regard because of the steps that we've gone through. And it's translated into accelerated growth in all the key metrics of more people and better opportunities. And finally, it's provided us with a capital base for really accelerating the growth of the business. I think Nicole's now going to talk you through the various lines mm -hmm. of business. Okay, so just to give you an idea of the current service lines that we have in the group at the moment, um, so you can see them all there on the screen. We've got in total 20 businesses in the group, and that's split across those 11 different service lines. 
So the most significant service line is corporate finance advisory. So that's the core of the business, the foundation of the business. We've got 35 professional heads in that service line. And they operate in the small to mid-market, so average deal sites around 25 million. The next largest service line is financial due diligence. We've got 16 professionals in that service line. Um, and we've got FTD professionals in each of our locations where we have a CF team. And that's really important because there's lots of opportunities for cross-referrals between those two businesses. The third largest service line is business recovery. Um, so we've got a team of eight, all based in the Northwest. And obviously that's a counter-cyclical uh, service line. Then we have our business planning team. So a team of six based in the Northwest. Um, they build financial models and, and business plans for both public and private sector. And they joined us as an existing business in 2018. Um, then we have our equity finance arm. So that started life as a private equity fund. And then last year, incorporated into an industrial holding company. Um, so they've got seven investments and they, um, they target companies with three to 20 million turnover. Then we've got a number of other service lines that you'll see along the bottom of the slide there that are smaller um, in terms of maturity and fee earners. Um, so forensics, our angels network, debt advisory, tax services, wealth advisory, and more recently, um, our ABL risk management team who joined us in January. But they are all key growth opportunities for the group, and we want to work with those businesses to help them grow their businesses. Um, and areas where we'd like to expand in the future. So next, I'll just talk you through a bit more background to the model and how that works. So typically, we will target professionals that have a big four experience background. So just under 70% of our BNs in the group are ex-big four. That's how we're known in the market. They're all ex-big four. Um, and the model is particularly attractive to those people that are more entrepreneurially minded, um, those that crave more autonomy and are frustrated by the sort of politics and restraints of a larger firm. And what we do is we empower those individuals to build their own business under the DSW brand. So all of our arrangements contain a license fee, and that license fee is based on a percentage of revenue. The percentage range is from 10 up to 22%. And all of our new businesses that are joining the group are at that 22% rate. And that's really competitive compared to other platform models on the market. Um, so some of you may be familiar with Keystone Law. Um, they charge up to 40%. So what that means is that our partners are keeping at least 78% of the fees that they're billing. So there's a real strong link in terms of what they're putting in and what the reward that they're getting back. In return for that license fee, we, we can provide back office support. And so that includes everything from facilities, marketing, recruitment, IT support, compliance support, accounting, banking. So we're offering to take away all of that administration burden and allow our partners to focus on what they do best, what they enjoy, so servicing their clients and winning new work. We provide a startup loan to all of our startup businesses, and I'll tell you a little bit why that's important later. We also have a service line incentive, that's to encourage collaboration between uh, different um, businesses within the same service line and sharing by P. Um, and we also have a referral fee um, scheme in place so that if another business introduces work to another network business, um, they're entitled to a 10% introductory um, fee. 
So why does it work? Why does the model work? What are the strengths to, to DSW Capital and to the licensee? So from our perspective, it provides us with high levels of recurring income. So our partners, they don't have a fixed salary. They're only remunerated for work that they actually complete. So that incentivizes them to deliver a consistent level of income. The, the license fee is primarily based on revenue. So it's top slice, which means it's really high quality income for us. Um, and as James mentioned at the start, so we have minimal exposure to property and employee costs. Our licensee businesses bear their own property and, and cost of employee um, professionals. That means capital itself has very low operational gearing. The targeting and recruitment that we run means that we get self-starters, so they tend to hit the ground running. Um, and the agreements that we have in place can be flexed very easily to introduce new partners, which means that can facilitate organic growth within those businesses and the more that we do in terms of the back office and the more internal referrals that we can cultivate centrally and ties the businesses in so it makes them reluctant to leave and finally the model is very capital light so none of our startups have required an investment in excess of 250k and it's cash generative so our payback period is typically three years for a startup business. From the licensee's perspective, so as soon as they join the group, they've got the power and the strength of the brand behind them. It gives them strong perceptions in the marketplace, credentials and capability, which in turn allows them to uh, generate better quality work and work with better quality clients. Um, they've also got from day one a network of introducers that are all incentivized to make referrals into their business. Recruitment's easier because candidates see themselves joining a larger firm as opposed to a small startup business. And we've obviously got the recruitment support centrally to assist them to grow that business. And then really importantly, that point at the end, so startup funding. So we will typically underwrite partner drawings for a period of 12 months. And that's really important because of the demographic and the age profiles of people that we're targeting. So we want young, um, ambitious, and driven professionals that are wanting to build a business with us um, and they need that financial um, reassurance um, so it de-risks it from their perspective and also quite often compares favourably to other partnership options in larger firms where you may need to take out a, a very significant partnership loan. But just in terms of performance highlights then, as Jane said, delighted that our first set of results are ahead of market expectations, really strong performance in the year. Our network revenue, so that's revenue filled by all of our licensee businesses, had increased just under 20% to 18.3 million. And that translated income to DSW Capital of £3 million. So that's a 21.8% increase year on year. Um, our underlying EBITDA also grew by a similar rate, 21.7%, up to 2.2 million. And then from a cash perspective, the model is very cash generative. We've got cash conversion in the year of 105%. And because of that cash generation, it enables us to pay a high proportion of our earnings out by way of dividends. So we did set a dividend policy on IPO that we would pay 70% of our adjusted profit after tax out by way of a dividend. Um, and we've aligned to that. So our final dividend um, that's been proposed is 4.2 pence. And that gives a four-year dividend yield of 5%. Then a couple of statistics at the bottom here um, from a network perspective. So these are the two key KPIs for us in the network. 
Um, fee earners, as James said, increased 14% to 88 in the year. Um, and that's impressive given the, the challenging recruitment backdrop that we've got at the moment, um, particularly in professional services. And what was really pleasing was that um, the profile boost from the IPO, um, it really has helped with recruitment. We've seen an uptick since IPO. So it's great to see that the benefits we thought we would get from floating have now started to materialise. And also, again, really pleasingly, attrition has come down post-IPO as well. Um, the other key stat is revenue for fear, and, uh, um, and that was 227k for the year, an increase of just under 16%. So we may be small in terms of the number of fears, but we're absolutely comparable to our to larger companies in our, our listed peer group. I think there's only FRP that has a, a larger revenue for fear than us, but not just our listed peer group, but also the big four. So from the information that's publicly available, we believe that we are absolutely in line with them uh, on revenue for fear. So that's a really strong indicator for us that our client base sees as a genuine alternative to, um, to the big four. And it's a fantastic opportunity to increase our market share in that respect. So I'll just go through the primary statements now and pull out a key, some of the key highlights for you. So in terms of trading, we saw very high activity levels in Q4 of 21, and that continued throughout FY22 on a basis. Very buoyant M&A market and the high quality of work delivered by our teams, which is evidenced by that, that revenue for Fiona, of all enhanced top line growth. Profit sharing from there, just to explain what that is. So um, some of our arrangements, as well as containing a license that's based on profit, we have an entitlement, a license that's based on revenue, we have an entitlement to profit as well. That's increased significantly in the year, 125% up to just under 460k. The reason for that is the activity levels, so our teams are working really hard, but not only that, they're improving their charge out rates and improving their margins. In terms of costs, um, so we are committed to keeping our, um, our cost base very lean at head office. So our admin cost per fee earner is currently 11.2k. So again, low compared to our peer group. But at the same time, we are committed to enhancing the support that we provide to our licensees to enable them to thrive and fulfil their potential. So in the year, we did make two key hires. We have invested in a talent and resource manager. So she's helping to drive recruitment, but also to um, enhance our training and development offering centrally, um, and in particular, um, an investment in um, our up-and-coming partners, so future leaders of the, of the businesses, um, so that we've got that succession plan um, in each of the businesses. And the second hire was the strategic projects director, fantastic hire in the year, um, and he has... Um, made huge improvements on our ESG agenda and is also going to be very focused on improving collaboration and making sure we maximise the benefits of posh referrals. So that's translated down into an adjusted pre-tax profit of 2 million in the year, which is an increase of 25.7%. And just to flag that is an adjusted pre-tax profit, there's a little reconciliation at the corner, but the two exceptional items that we've stripped out or the IPO costs in the year, and also we've had a significant share-based payment charge of just under 1.2 million. And to explain what that is, we did issue our partners and employees with growth shares pre-IPO. They converted on IPO, so they're non-diluted to shareholders going forward. 
no cash in part, no impact on reserves, and that will come down um, in the future. Just to highlight the figures on the balance sheet, so we have 4.7 million of cash and we are debt free. Um, so out of the 3.8 million net proceeds from the flotation, we repaid our bank loan. And then just to highlight a couple of areas that might not be obvious what they are, but our intangible assets there are licensed brands and the increase in fixed assets and lease liability as a result of the lease signed for the head office property and then the subsequent impact of IFRS 16 and bringing that on balance sheet in the year. So that's left us with net assets of 8 million. So we've got a very robust balance sheet, we're well placed and we have capital to invest. So cash flow, um, the model, as I said before, is highly cash generative. And to just illustrate that point, um, our lockup, which is the term sort of familiar with professional services, is around 30 days. We're not aware of any other listed accounts of firms locked up less than 90. And um, so it's quite unusual that our lockup is that low. And that's for three reasons. So the working capital funding requirement is passed to our partners. That's the key strength of the model. Secondly, our partners don't get paid until the business gets paid. So clearly they're very motivated to, um, to collect the cash. And finally, because of the service lines, they tend to be transactional um, in nat nature. So clients are paying on completion. We have had a, an operating cash conversion of 105%. And you can see from that top right hand corner, that's a significant increase on the prior year. And that's due to, we had some very high levels of billing in Q4 21. We do bill quarterly, so that cash was then collected in the first quarter of FY22, which is why I've got that swing. I would expect going forward our cash conversion to be between 80 and 100%. So overall, that's resulted in a net cash inflow of 4.1 million, so obviously benefiting from the float proceeds but also a very robust financial performance. So finally, just to highlight some network KPIs that I've not talked through already. So our average license fee across the network is 16.9%, seeing a small increase in the year up from 16%. In the absence of any acquisitions, we would expect that to increase because the newer licensees are coming on at higher rates. Um, but if we do do an acquisition, that is likely to, to, to be at the lower rate. Um, and then next to that, 14% of uh, the network revenue has been generated from cost referrals. Um, so that's a real opportunity for us to, to increase that percentage. And we want to get to a place where our, our businesses are getting more back than they're paying out in terms of, of license fee. So we're very focused on initiatives to try and improve that. And then a couple of differentiating um, factors to highlight to you compared to other platform models. So on average, we have 4.4 fee earners per licensee business. So compared to other platform models, we are building businesses. Um, we are not a network of sole traders. And what that means is we've got two aspects of growth. So we've got the growth from the add-ons through the platform model, but we've also got the organic growth within those businesses. And then linked to that, the average age of our partners is 47. Um, and again, that's younger than other platform models. So we've got greater longevity in our businesses, uh, coupled with the fact that we've got succession with the teams coming through beneath them. And then finally, 23% of our partners are female. Now that's in line with the big four at the moment, but we see a real opportunity there for us to be able to leave the field with the flexibility that the model offers. Um, and we're setting the tone from the top as 60% of the board are female. So if I can summarise um, our post-IPO activity, um, it's only six months, 
So it's only really floated our name uh, in December. We've added on a new service line. Uh, Nicole's already told you about the asset lending sort of due diligence service. We are now present in two more locations in Edinburgh and Glasgow. We've had a relocation in Manchester. The headcount's grown. It was actually 81 when we floated, so 88 in, by March is only four months. And I just want to echo I'm really confident we're seeing a very strong halo effect from the IPO in terms of our attraction to potential employees. The interesting anomaly, as far as I'm concerned, is that we're now the sixth most active CF advisor in the UK, and that's the first quarter of this year. It's not a representative uh, result. Normally, we'd be expecting in top 20 and growing, but it probably indicates the strength of our model and where we sit in the M&A marketplace. Uh, and finally, we're absolutely delighted we're ahead of market expectations and the strength of the business. One of the um, initiatives that we've taken on board wholeheartedly is um, the ESG agenda. So the business rationale is to encourage people and empower people to build their own businesses within our umbrella. The two further initiatives that naturally follow from that is we want to invest in those people to be the best they can be. So there's a lot of initiatives going on in terms of helping uh, the employees and the partner develop. Related to that, it's beholding on us, therefore, to be the best that we can be, the best that DSW can be. And we decided to make that the, the ESG agenda is very central to that. We want to be the best that we can be. We want to be a natural uh, network of choice for people who consider these issues just as important as the financial. Uh, in terms of the initiative, it's been spearheaded by Pete Fendel, who's our strategic projects director, uh, but directed by the board. Uh, Pete did a very comprehensive exercise identifying 54 potential issues. We distilled those down to sort of 14 key ones, and then we brainstormed those from the perspective of all our stakeholders. So that's our partners, that's our employees, that's our clients, and that's our communities. And we've narrowed those down to four cornerstones. And you'll see those detailed in our annual report. It's a key agenda for DSW Capital being the best that it can be, as well as everybody else. Well, that's the past. I suppose we need to address what's the opportunity for the future. Uh, and from my perspective, it's very important that investors recognise that there are a number of opportunities for growth with DSW Capital. If I go through, those are our five that we've identified. So the organic growth, which is perhaps more central, is we have our 20 businesses who essentially are growing businesses. We want them to grow and we've invested in recruitment resource to help them do so. That's organic growth, our existing businesses recruiting people. Our geographical expansion, our service line extension is about adding on new geographies. Uh, we're in seven locations, but the reality is that we could be in any location in the UK where the big four are present. I think that's about 40. And I say the big four are present because it's like, that's our talent pool. So we can add in new geographies and we have new capabilities. Uh, and then related to that, in terms of bringing in people, we can bring in teams. We've never been resourced uh, enough to bring in teams where we can actually encourage a whole team to effectively decide that 
DSW is the right venue for them. And then on the left-hand side of that uh, diagram, we've got the opportunity to acquire license fees. So there are many businesses that have created tremendous specialisms and we can encourage them to join the network and essentially benefit from being part of a bigger business. Una Valadores means we're stronger together. And that's what we're looking for, businesses that make us stronger together. So I've alluded to this before, is that there are many strands for growth, quite unusual in terms of the opportunities that we've got available to us. But allied to that, we've got a marketplace which is receptive to change. So the audit industry has been under pressure for some time, but the pressure hasn't gone away to significantly restructure their activities to separate the audit from other service lines. Now, that creates uncertainty within those businesses. It creates uncertainties for the ambitious professionals who are investing their careers in an organization with an uncertain strategic future. And it's really important that we focus on our messages. So the first message is on the left-hand side. What makes DSW different? So what does make DSW different? Well, there's the obvious there's a direct link between what you do and what you get. Genuinely, our reward model is the highest in professional services. Our partners and employees can have greater flexibility within our model. There are no internal targets for anybody to meet in reporting to the SW Capital to meet their own targets. And they are operationally independent. They have complete autonomy. They decide who they work for and when they work for those clients. That's what makes us different. But I do recognize there are lots of benefits of being part of a bigger organization. And those are things that we do want to try and retain and create because we're still a small organization. So those are things like the central infrastructure support being available to help with tricky situations and to provide some of the, the hygiene factors in terms of running a business, to take away some of those issues. It's also important to be part of a, a multidisciplinary network to be able to casually chat to a colleague in a different discipline to understand an issue and to get the benefits of those relationships. And the third element for me is that we need to be internationally present. So we have built an M&A network initially, Pandia, which is now represented in 28 key geographies across the globe. So if I go back now to the acquisition opportunity, so the acquisition opportunity is significant for us where it's high growth, it's niche, and it's synergistic. So it's really important when businesses come into the network that they feel we are giving something more to them, more than capital. They've got to see the sense of being part of a bigger network. And equally, my existing partners have got to see the benefit of these new relationships and the potential I open for them to create new clients and new work opportunities. So the easiest ones for us are sort of existing service lines in new locations. I'm really interested in getting involved in more tax services. We're so underrepresented in tax. I know that all, all my partners, employees touch on tax issues on a daily basis. And related to that are what I call the, our owner issues. So our clients are typically owners, managing directors, and significant shareholders, and they have issues related to running their businesses and managing their wealth. 
And then in terms of the other opportunities, I think there is a real opportunity for us to transfer our platform model to legal services. The current platforms really are driven around individuals and then really not focused on what I regard as the quality of the market. And that's our differentiator and therein lies the opportunity. And then finally, my catch-all really, if the big four are doing something, with the exception of audit, it's something that's likely to be of interest to ourselves. So to summarize, the IPO has had a tremendous benefit to the business. We are experiencing and have experienced strong revenue and profit growth in the last financial year. And we did come in ahead of original market expectations and in truth ahead of our own. We've got very high activity levels. My partners and employees have been working extraordinarily hard. Uh, they're driven by their desire to be successful and the desire to look after their clients. And that emphasis on that ownership that the partners and employees bring to opportunities means clients are being satisfied and clients prepared to pay more for what they know is a quality service. And the float's given us a profile, a classification, uh, an aspiration for employees to join a young, ambitious company with essentially the world at its feet. And our model has proven to be very attractive, as Nicole says, in a very difficult recruitment market. And from an investor's perspective, all we've promised is that we have a cash-generated model and that's been borne out by our results. And we will return those dividends to shareholders with a very high payout ratio. Now the outlook, the outlook's very good. We still have those, all those opportunities for growth that I outlined are available to us and added to which we've got the capital to invest. We're benefiting from a halo effect. I've got no doubt that that will continue. Currently, network activity remains strong across all areas of the business. And from my perspective, the recessionary risk, if there is a recession, creates superb opportunity for us to recruit talent. Our ability to recruit talent requires on two factors, really. We have to have a proposition that is attractive and pulls them. But at the same time, I do know people need to be pushed. So they need to be disappointed where they are and feel unloved and un unrewarded. And that tends to come with recession. So that's, that's our recessionary element. Uh, we've got a very predictable cost base. As Nicole said, we're pretty unique, with a very low operational gearing in professional services, which means we are generally immune from inflationary pressures. And I'm delighted to tell you that uh, last year was exceptional. Uh, my, my partners and employees are truly tremendous. They're great advocates for the business. And that the new financial year has started well and is in line with our expectations. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. So the first question, can you talk a little bit about the buoyant M&A market and what you're seeing on the ground across the group? Right. So um, the M&A market has been strong for us for quite some time, actually. And that does benefit the corporate finance business and the uh, financial due diligence businesses in particular. The marketplace that we operate in, however, I would regard as mid-market. And I know my colleagues in London would probably say it's lower mid-market. 
But the average deal size for the corporate finance business is about 25 million, and for the due diligence uh, business is probably a little bit lower. Um, but that means that the vagaries that are reported at the, uh, the bulge end, the larger end of the MA marketplace, doesn't naturally filter down to our place in the market. So that's why we've experienced this surge in the ratings in the UK, where we've emerged the sixth most active advisor. Thank you very much. And um, the next question writes, impressive results, congratulations. Where do you see the business in three years time, please? I will deal with that one because I'm very ambitious. Um, <laughs> look, we've grown network revenue doubled in the last three years. Um, and John, Mark, Craig, Phil, Andy, who've been with me from the start of the journey will know that it started with three, it went to six, and it's been very steady. I remain convinced that our proposition is really attractive to people with genuine ambition. And the more that we can provide the infrastructure and support, I believe our growth will accelerate. Uh, I've got no doubt that the, the early steps are the hardest steps. And uh, as I've often quoted, it's taken us 19 years to be an overnight sensation, but I suspect the next 19 years will be a much significant, much more significant, substantial progress in the business. So in three years, I expect us to be quite a long way along the journey. Thank you very much. And is there a tipping point where a partner grows a service line and then wants autonomy outside of paying DSW a 22% fee? And how do you manage this particularly with highly driven professionals? I mean, we just have to work really hard. And the key sort of stickiness, I think, is in terms of the ability to get referrals from the internal network and having that network of colleagues that you can sort with and be part of something bigger. Um, also the international network that, that James mentioned. Um, but we don't tend to lose um, partners. No, it's, um, it's quite important that we focus on being really supportive. So the cross-selling is really important. Being part of a bigger business, which is perceived as being big for comparable, gives you pricing power. Uh, it gives you perceptions in the marketplace, your credentials, and it enables you to recruit. So I would say that all my partners are more than capable of running their businesses outside DSW because they're the right sort. Uh, but I actually believe they think they're getting significant benefits from being part of the network. And it's Nicole and I's responsibility to make sure those benefits are very real and very tangible. Thank you very much. And is there a plan to grow the group outside of the UK? I'd love to. Uh, and I do have active dialogues with people because there's, from my perspective, it's a natural extension opportunity and it will support existing professionals in, ex in executing more complex transactions, giving them better opportunities to make better fees. Thank you. And how do you think the economic crunch will affect recruitment of licensees? So, um, a couple of things. It, it sounds counterintuitive, but a downturn actually suits our model because, as James said before, often in a downturn, um, people are disappointed because they, they're either not getting promoted, they're not getting bonuses, they're feeling rewarded. 
Um, so that provides us with a big opportunity to um, to attract talent to our model. Um, so I think counterintuitively, a downturn actually would give us a recruitment boost. Thank you. And how do you plan to use the money from the float? Wisely. Um, the main emphasis at the moment is breakouts and uh, acquiring license fees. So the breakouts, as I've alluded to, I'm really keen to find teams who recognise what we offer and that the opportunity is much better with us than where they are. And in bringing teams, I recognise that they're going to have to make commitments to individuals and many individuals probably quite early in their careers where they feel they need more income uh, confidence and underwriting support. So I think we'll need significant funds to secure reasonable size breakouts. And the other thing is to add on license fee, um, acquiring effectively intellectual property in other businesses. So to bring in uh, new service lines, new, new areas of expertise. And that's where the bulk of the investment will go. Thank you. And how much will you need to increase central operations to support growth? So um, crudely, we work on a basis that for every 10 fee earners that we bring into the network, we need another one person centrally. Um, so that's what we work to. Um, you know, we are committed to keeping costs lean, but we do recognise that um, we need to, so it's important that we develop the infrastructure um, to, to support our licensees and help them to become successful. So um, two of the key sort of areas that we're looking at at the moment is obviously with recruitment and supporting our businesses to build their teams, also improving the offering from a central perspective in terms of training, development, and to help with retention. Um, Thank you very much. And can you expand on what you mean by the halo effect? Yes, it's um, it's really um, it's an easy one for me that one because um, I've been very conscious for some time that the um, business was owned by um, Dow, Scarborough and Watts predominantly, um, and that's a private company, and it's therefore has a, a potential negative effect on recruitment in that people will be concerned, naturally concerned, thinking about what is the future direction of the business. So I think we've given a lot of reassurances to our partners, existing partners, our potential new partners and employees, that they're actually joining a business which is a 20-year-old private company, yeah, but has another 20 years plus ambition. So that's the halo effect. The halo effect is that people recognise that we are genuine in our ambitions and that we've taken the necessary steps to fulfil them. Uh, and the other elements of the halo effect, it's not a straightforward process to become listed. There are a lot of governance requirements and a lot of obligations that you take on, which again, I think, reassure our partners, and most potential partners, employees are good. And they also reassure clients, particularly listed clients. They know what we've gone through they know what we're standing and the responsibilities that we've taken on to ensure effectively that we're, um, we are genuinely aspirational to be the best that we can be. Uh, and we're going to put ourselves in that public window to be judged. Yeah. So that's why regards the halo effect. It's a statement of our intent. 
Tremendous. Thank you very much. And that's all we've got time for on the questions. James, do you have any closing remarks? I'm really delighted with the progress that we've made as a business. I'm tremendously excited about the potential for the business and the team we have around us and at the capital level. And I'm also extraordinarily grateful and enthused by those young partners and employees who continue to deliver exceptional results. And that's being recognised in the marketplace. It's a great, I mean, truly privileged position. I know Boris Johnson said he had the best, best job in the UK. I think mine is. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.